You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts, Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, sounds like you've had a breakthrough in M19. I have had a bit of a breakthrough in M19. I'm feeling good. I wonder if that's also partially due to the fact that I took some reprieve drafts this week. Uh, dipping my toe into the Zendikar flashback phantom drafts online and returning to my homeland of Dominaria a few times. Yeah, you had some Zendi snacks. I did have some Zendi snacks. Those matches, man, they just go by. You just blink and they're gone. But that format's not the worst thing in the world, even though it's an aggro format. No dirtling allowed. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about some of my, my breakthrough thoughts for this week that have maybe turned things around for me in M19. How about you? How are you? It's your birthday today. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am 31 years old, going strong. Yeah. Got a few more drafts in under my belt if we check in on the trophy leaderboard. So I am now up to a measly 33 drafts, did five more drafts this week. I have nine trophies, a 72 and 27 overall record and a 72% win rate. And if you're wondering, yes, I am still stuck at nine trophies. I have 16 drafts without a trophy. So my first nine trophies came in my first 17 drafts. So if you're wondering why you can't trophy, just rest assured you need to draft more. (laughs) That's always the answer to most of life's problems, I think, is just draft more. Uh, I am at 99 drafts, a clean three times as many as you. Uh, Also 27 trophies. I'm in like third or fourth place on the intermediate trophy leaderboard. Uh, 187 to 99 win-loss record for a 65% win rate. Like I said last week, I think that's probably where I'm going to gonna chill for the rest of the format at 65 percent and you were feeling pretty good recently did you check and see like what your win rate was in your last 20 25 drafts or so it's just like just slightly above 67 in the last 20 but that's pretty good especially considering how low it was at some points but i I mean i think that's pretty good in this format considering how much variance i think there is there are just a lot of bombs in the format that are tough to deal with so if you face those a lot or if you face the sleeps or the curve out decks and you don't have ways to answer them but we'll get into how to answer them in a bit maybe but before we get into any of that we gotta talk about that patreon patreon.com slash lords of limited is the place to go to give back to the show if you so choose uh we want to incentivize folks if they want to give to the show perhaps if you've seen your win rate increase for your fnms for your your online grinding we want to uh to know that we can give you something back and the thing that we give to all donators to the show is access to the lords of limited discord this is the place to be to talk about limited with like-minded folks uh you're going to get info on your decks from not only me and ben but a whole community of people who are interested in limited just as much as you You get access to our show notes for a little higher tier donation access to a behind the scenes recording for a higher donation than that and we also want to shout out everyone the first week that they join so we want to welcome to the fold this week christopher david keith douglas peter brenton nicholas santiago Carlos, William, and Brittany. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. So if you don't know the story behind Brittany, that's her name in Twitch chat, and she's got like a million A's, and it makes me so happy every time she comes into Twitch chat. She also yesterday was like, if I sub to the Lords of Limited Discord, will you say my name like that on the show? And I was like, <laughs> yes. absolutely, I will. Absolutely. This is all the sweet inside stuff you're missing out on if you don't come hang out on our Twitch streams. Yeah. Twitch and Twitter are the places to be if you are interested in magic. Aside from the Lords of Limited Discord, of course. Obviously, number one. That's what allows us to get fourth place in GPs. That's (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting that we were both able to get 12th and 4th in two different GPs. Yeah. 
that's just the talent that we have as the hosts of Lords of Limited. <laughs> so I, I did want to touch on briefly just sort of some overview thoughts on the format, maybe check in with you where you're at. I think a lot of this of my like turning the beat around this week is catching up to a lot of the things that you I think already knew or already had instincts about. So I want to talk about how we're valuing removal and if it's leading to winning decks for you. Yeah, I'm pretty high on removal. And I think I have been fairly consistently throughout the format. And I think that's something that's really helped me out. There are a lot of very swingy bombs and lots of enchantments like prodigious growth or oaken form on a creature that are real strategies in the format that you need to have as many answers to as possible. So I mean, luminous bonds, take vengeance, liches, caress, all those cards I've been valuing super highly throughout the format. And I do think they help help you win. I think, you know, you want five to seven removal spells in your deck if you can get your hands on them, but it's really hard to get your hands on that many. I, I frequently find myself having three to five. I totally agree with this. I think I got thrown off because like my first few trophy decks were like high synergy decks and low on removal. And so I was like, oh, that's the thing that leads to winning is like, we don't need removal. You need to worry about what you're doing, not about what your opponent's doing. And I think that's not true based on the amount of bombs that you need to answer slash what you said about like people suiting up creatures with auras. I think just you need to have ways to interact with your opponent's stuff because they can do such backbreaking things in this format. Yeah, yeah. So that leads me to my next point, which is, are we still valuing synergy as highly as we were maybe last week or two weeks ago? And I've been breaking off of this a bit. And certainly I'm looking for synergy, but I'm really going back to like bread basics. Though I would say I'm replacing the E standing for evasion with early drops, let's say. And I'm also backing away from trying to draft aggro. As much as people are winning with it and saying it's the best deck in the format, it does not appear that way to me. It feels like it's a very beatable deck. It's certainly very explosive, but it doesn't line up with one, my play style. And two, with my drafting style, it's very hard for me to get into that deck because I feel like all of the pieces are so underpowered. I see these decks that have like two goblin motivators in them, and that's just a card that I've like never put in a draft deck in almost 100 drafts. So I just don't think that I'm going to get into that deck. Like it's it's been 99 drafts and I haven't drafted red white once. But that seems insane to me, but I just don't think it's I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen at all for the format based on the results so far. And I think that's fine and I'm sort of embracing that and just looking at okay, well, if I don't want to draft that deck and people think it's good, then how do I combat that deck? Take early drops and I value removal and life gain a bit higher, like not you know, cards that just gain life, but incidental life gain tacked onto things in white and black. And I, I think that there are tools in the format to combat that deck. And I've just been trying to value that a bit higher. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really like the bread replacing evasion with early drops. I read that and I was like, oh, yeah, like that, <laughs> that really is what the format feels like to me. And that's a good way to articulate how to draft because you do definitely want bombs and you want removal really highly. But then you've got to have, you know, we were talking last night, you've got to have good two drops. Like you shouldn't be OK with putting mediocre two drops in your deck unless you absolutely have to. And, and I think but you still just need the early plays, like you said last week when we were talking about putting like a Highland game in your deck if you don't have enough two drops in green. And I've been sort of reluctant about that. But you just got to suck it up and, and bite that bullet sometimes because sometimes you're going to face aggro decks game one and you need ways to interact with them early or you're going to get steamrolled. And like sometimes your opponent gets stuck on two lands and your Highland game beats down and you win. Right. And so that's not to say that I'm trying to just like draft these like low to the ground 
decks that are only trying to face the aggro decks in mind, you know, but I am also trying to draft decks that face mid-range decks and control decks and try and match up my removal or card advantage well against those decks as well. So I'm sort of balancing those two things in one deck, and that's been working out pretty well for me. And so as far as like never having drafted red-white, so but you said you like had felt bad about drafting aggro. If you've never drafted red-white, like you've been drafting aggro like sort of half-heartedly and then getting stuck halfway in between decks or what, what's been happening to you? So I've had like mono white a couple times and, you know, sometimes in like white blue, I've had a sleep. And so that makes me think and because I, I really feel like sleep goes only in assertive decks. I see people trying to play sleep in like blue black control decks sometimes. And that just doesn't really make sense because it's essentially a copy of fog at that point. But maybe a sleep leads me towards, oh, I want to be an aggressive blue-white deck. And then I start putting like cavalry drill masters in my deck. Or I'm in white-green, but I'm not quite getting there on the aura synergies, but I have some rustwing falcons, that, that sort of thing. And I know that a, a real crux of the red-white deck is the ability to go wide with, you know, the goblin instigators and the gallant cavalries. I think that you miss out on those cards when you, you know, go into another color pair. But there are tools for other aggro decks, I think, but a lot of those commons, those like two ones for two, just feel so bad to me if you're not curving out with them. I mean, we drafted a pretty medium, I think, red-white deck on your stream last night, and like it two-owned, but it, it felt so bad. It did feel bad. I will say, though, in defense of Goblin Motivator from my opponents, that card has felt very good in a good red-white deck for my opponents. I'm frequently scared if my opponent plays Goblin Motivator turn one. Yeah, I, I felt that too. And then when they play it turn five, you feel fine. You just like fist pump. So like, yeah, if you have two of them or three of them, sometimes I've seen in, in picks on our discord, you can consistently have one in your opening hand. But I really just think that like that card is kind of embarrassing to me if you don't get to play it on turn one. Yeah, I think it's probably relevant in like the first few turns of the game. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. I felt I, when we were playing that red white deck, I felt really bad. And that's not to say I'm not saying that I think this deck is bad. And I definitely think I will continue to be beaten by it. I think there are strong versions of this deck. I just think it's not the like menace of the format that people are making it out to be. And I think the tools are there to beat it. Certainly. And I think a lot of people are trying to draft certainly white right now. White feels very, very dry. Yeah, most of my drafts white has felt not open at all. And I'm almost in like avoiding green territory from Hour of Devastation where I'm like, well, I see that Star Crown stag pack one, pick one, but I'm so loath to take it because I feel like I'm going to get pushed off of white nine times out of 10. And it's so hard to tell if it's actually open because there's so many good commons. So you frequently get like a stag third or something and then just see no more white the rest of pack one because like everyone picks a couple white commons and then there's like five people trying to draft white or something. There's a there's a weird tension to me about drafting white aggro as well because so there are such powerful tools at common with the three musketeers. I love that nickname for Pegasus Corsair, Star Crown Stag, and Angel of the Dawn. But those are all at three or later mana cost. So you've got all these powerful tools. Like even we like Gallant Cavalry in those decks. That's another four drop. You know, maybe you put some Loxed and Line Breakers as three twos. But it's when we get look at the two drops slot that I'm like, what do I get to play? I have to play Cavalry Drillmaster. Uh, maybe Oresco Swiftclaw. I mean, that's a better card, I think. But like, really, what I want to be doing a lot of the time is playing my one three lifelinkers on turn two. But that doesn't really go in those kinds of decks, right? Then you ha so then you're trying to pair white with a color that does have good two drops, and then maybe your two drops are more defensive. And I feel like there's some 
awkward tension. Not saying I don't think that Corsair, Stag, and Angel are fantastic cards. I just do feel that tension of like, do I have to sacrifice power level for my two drop slot because I want to play these powerful three, fours, and fives? I think the answer is probably yes a little bit. And yeah. I think Ru- Rustwing Falcon into the plus two, plus two pants is also like a pretty good curve for the start of that deck. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you don't got to tell me about pants. I, I, I've been talking about pants since the start of the format. <laughs> so many points for you. It's so <laughs> funny, like after the first week, how much right you were about all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think white definitely look aggressive and I'm I'm thankful. I do do feel a little lucky that that the pants strategy is a viable strategy in the format. Certainly Oaken form, I think, is is pretty good. But also just that, that green white deck and Vine Mare. Good God. Yeah. So if we take a look, we've got lots of stats from our Discord. Uh, what are your winningest colors and color pairs? Um, my winningest colors and color pairs are, surprise, surprise, all centered around white. Uh, white, green, and white, blue are my most trophies. I have six trophies in white, green, and five in blue, white. And then I've got a couple in black, white, none in red, white, and a couple in blue, green. But but white, green, and blue, white, far and away, my winningest color pairs. And my colors on their own, they're all sort of spread out. I mean, white and green are the highest at 68 and 67% respectively, and then it dips down blue and red 64 and black at 60%. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, that's funny. My two best color pairs are also white, blue and white, green, like a significant margin above the rest of the color pairs, like almost 15%. And then everything else is hovering around 2-1, like 66%. And my winningest colors are white and green and blue. Blue is actually my winningest at 80%. Oh, wow. And then white and green are following in the, the low 70s, like 74%. What else are you pairing blue with after you're pairing it with white? Uh, almost nothing. I still haven't drafted blue red. I've drafted green blue four times and I've drafted blue black once. I've turned around on blue black. I've had a, a number of strong blue black decks in the past week. I feel like that does a lot of the things I was talking about, about how to combat aggro decks, but also have value against mid range and late game decks. Right, because it's got card draw, like it's got divination. Right, but it, and it also has cheap ways to interact with your opponent with Essence Scatter, Disperse, Abnormal Endurance, Nightmare's Thirst. Like you've got two drops, you've got your Omen Speakers, you've Child of Knights in a pinch, but Doom Descenders are great against aggro decks. Like you have a lot of those early drop tools to deal with aggro decks. And then you have, yeah, like you said, you've got the card advantage engines in blue for the late game. I think that sounds like a sweet place to get into our roundtable. So I've got one here from the start of the format. This is my third draft. Are you ready to rewind and take a seat? I always love these Ben Rewind drafts. I feel like we get to do one of these maybe like once per format. It's really, really nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to take a seat. Okay, you see the following cards in contention. Pack one, pick one. There's a Luminous Bonds, two and a white enchantment. Enchanted Creature can't attack or block. There's a Vine Mare, two green green for the 5-3 Hexproof. Can't be blocked by black creatures. Aerial Engineer, two white blue for the two four. And if you control an artifact, it gets plus two plus oh and has flying. And your rare is a Johnny's Last Stand, two white white for the enchantment. Whenever a creature or planeswalker you control dies, you may sacrifice a Johnny's Last Stand. If you do, create a four four white flying avatar token. And whenever a spell or ability causes you to discard it, you control if you control a planes, create a four four white avatar creature token with flying. Hoot, hot dog. It's a good thing I was looking at that card or I would have missed like several things. So until this very moment, I did not know that the text if you control planes was on that card. I also did not. But I did get to live the dream and discard this to mind rot the other day. Uh, My opponents have lived that dream against me (laughs) twice already this format. (laughs) Wow, you're playing mind rot that much, huh? Yeah. Wow. 
This pack is pretty straightforward. I think this is an easy Vine Mare for me. But the other cards that you mentioned are pretty strong. I think I would take Luminous Bonds after Vine Mare and probably Engineer after that. A Johnny's Last Stand, I think, is fine. But again, you just, you, you're going to get four drops if you want them. I mean, we're getting a Vine Mare here. But I think the like suspend on this card makes it kind of awkward. Yeah, I agree. You are not getting a four drop in a Johnny's Last Stand. You're getting like a seven or an eight drop. That yeah. you happen to put down on turn four, which is when, like, I think that's the turn where you probably cast your most impactful spells in M19 is turn four, assuming you hit your land drops. I mean, I will say, and I, because I feel like I've faced this card more than I've played it, it does make combat pretty awkward. I, I have not made attacks because I've been trying to wait until I can, like, draw a removal spell to deal with the four four, that sort of thing. Like, I think there are things that this card does without making the 4-4 immediately, but I still don't think it's as powerful as Vine Mare. Right. Moving on to pack one, pick two, there's a common missing out of this pack. Your options are Snapping Drake, three and a blue for a 3-2 flyer, Skyscanner, three mana for the 1-1 flying artifact when it ETBs you draw a card, Loxton Linebreaker is the best white card in the pack, two and a white for a 3-2, Sleep, two blue blue for the sorcery, tap all creatures target player controls, those creatures don't untap during that player's next untap step, and Gaspar Twins, five green green for the seven seven trample and can block an additional creature each combat and fiery finish for red red deals seven damage to target creature. So where are you at on the old Gaspar Twins versus Colossal Dreadmaw debate? I'm on Team Dreadmaw, baby. I've been on Team Dreadmaw like since it was printed and I love that card and I just think it comes down a turn sooner and does the same thing. I agree with that for sure. So I'm not all about that Gaspar Twins as a follow up to my Vine Mare as much as I would like to play green. Sleep is a very powerful card and I think is the pick here. Though I, as I've said before, this card feels maybe closer to switcheroo in terms of like build around than it did at the start of the format. Like I don't think you can just jam sleep in any deck. I think you want to draft with it in mind. But pack one, pick two is the time when I would like to draft with it in mind. And I think blue green is one of its best homes. I agree. And that's what I took as well. So we both got Vine Mare and sleep so far. Moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following options. Drew to the Cowl, one and a green for a 1-3. And really, that's it. The rest of this pack is poop soup. Best white card is Oresco Swiftclaw or Daybreak Chaplain. Best black card's probably Mind Rod or Macabre Waltz. Isn't this format great? It's pick three and you have one option. Yeah. <laughs> Windmill slamming Drew to the Cowl here. It's a fantastic follow-up to Vine Mare, and it's the best green common, and it's the best card in this pack by, as Ben would say, a country mile. <laughs> oh, God. I need to get out of the country. <laughs> All right, moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following options. Uh, Scholar of Stars, three and a blue for the three, two. When it ETBs, if you control an artifact, you draw a card. Bristling Boar, three and a green for the four, three. Can't be blocked by more than one creature. And Fountain of Renewal, one mana for the artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, you gain a life. You can pay three, sacrifice it to draw a card. And Abnormal Endurance, one and a black for the instant. Uh, until end of turn, target creature gets plus two plus oh. If it dies, you return it to the battlefield under your control tapped. If this were pack one, pick one, I don't know how that would be the case. What would you take here? Probably abdominal endurance. Interesting. I think I'd be on fountain of renewal, but I recognize that it only goes really in two decks. It only really goes in blue, white or black, white, but it's so good in both of those decks. I think that I would be interested in taking it here. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe that's that's probably right. Or Bristling Boar. I don't know. I think any of those three are defensible. Yeah, maybe that's that's fair. I mean, I think with what we've got, we want to play green. We've got Vine Mare and Druid of the Cowl, so I'm happy to take Bristling Boar. I, I value Bristling Boar pretty highly. It seems like I value it higher than most. It is, I think, my most drafted common right now. 
Ooh, it's good. It's very good. All right, moving on to pack one, pick five. So we've got, to recap, we've got a Vine Mare, a Sleep, a Druid of the Cowl, and a Bristling Boar. Moving on to pack one, pick five, you see a Johnny's Pride Mate. One and a white for the 2-2. If you gain a life, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Raw Bash Ogre, two black red for the 3-3 three, three Menace. And when it attacks, you can sacrifice another creature. If you do, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Make a stand, two and a white creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and indestructible until end of turn. There's a Divination, two and a blue draw two cards, and a Sky Scanner, three mana for the 1-1 one, one Flyer when it ETBs you draw a card, as well as Take Vengeance, one and a white, destroy target tapped creature. This is a really interesting pack, I think. You've got a lot of different options. That Brawl Bash Ogre is very powerful, but I'm not willing to sacrifice the green cards that we have to take it. I think it's good in the Black Red Sacrifice deck, but I think Harpy is much better. I agree with that, yeah. Being a three drop and being able to get activated whenever you want. So like it combos super well with Resumbling Skeleton or like Doom Dissenter. It's really good with being able to like block and sack that sort of stuff like brawl bash ogre doesn't do that i think the black red deck is a lot grindier and brawl bash ogre is very aggressive not saying that i wouldn't play it in a black red deck but it's less of a signal than i think maybe i thought in our archetype episode then we've got a whole mess of good white cards with pride mate make a stand and take vengeance and i think even though i really like pride mate we're looking at e early two drops in bread in white green it's not going to be the most at home like sure maybe i can get some things that have life gain in them um maybe i get some chaplains or whatever but i think i just want to grab take vengeance especially because green doesn't have a ton of removal options if i am going to end up in green white so i think i would grab take vengeance here i can certainly see an argument for that i think i would still be on pride mate here but what you're saying about it not excelling in green white makes a lot of sense to me it's it's in danger of being a two mana two two there. Yeah. So and we are definitely green. So I, I could see take vengeance being the right pick. You, you probably are right about that. Actually, I think you just are right. All right. I should have taken take vengeance. It was your third draft. Don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been fairly clear up to this point. It gets a little murkier now. Pack one, pick six. You see the following options. Oresco Swiftclaw, one and a white for the three one. Gallant Cavalry, three and a white for the two two Vigi. And when an ETBs, you create a two two white knight creature token with Vigi. And Psychic Symbiont for Blue Black for 3-3 Flyer. When ETBs, target opponent discards a card and you draw a card. And there's also Blanchwood Armor. Two and a green enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each forest you control. Yeah, I'm tempted by Blanchwood Armor just because I know I want to be green and it's really good with Vine Mare. But if you don't end up mono green or near mono green, the card is essentially Oaken form. So you don't need to value it that highly, I think. Then the option comes down between Gallant Cavalry as I think the best white card in the pack to follow up with either Take Vengeance or Johnny's Pride Mate or the most powerful card in the pack, which is Psychic Symbiont. But we've got that sleep in our pile, so we could be blue-green splash black. We could maybe, if this is a like super strong signal that blue-black is open, could abandon the green cards and end up with blue-black with sleep. But I think sleep is really not good in, in versions of blue-black. So this is a tough pick. I think I would just land on Gallant Cavalry here and, and lean towards Green-White, but I, I'm tempted by Psychic Symbiont because it is so powerful. I think that's what I would also do now in retrospect. I think I would take Gallant Cavalry. I bet what was going through my head was that I was going to be blue-green splashing black potentially with the sleep and that I didn't realize how hard it was to splash in the format. Silly Ben in his third draft thinking he can splash an M19. <laughs> I know. I, I did grab the Psychic Symbiont there, but I think Gallant Cavalry is probably the right pick. So moving on to pack one, pick seven, we've got in our pile, we both have Vinemare, we both have Sleep, both have a Druid of the Cowl, both have Bristling Boar, and then I've got a Pride Mate, you took Take Vengeance, 
I've got a Psychic Symbiont, you took Gallant Cavalry. Pick seven, you see the following options. Marauder's Axe, two mana for the artifact with the equip cost of two. Equip creature gets plus two plus oh. And Essence Scatter, one and a blue for the instant counter target creature spell. And Daggerback Basilisk, two and a green for the two two death touch. Yeah, I'd probably take a sad Basilisk here. Essence Scatter is a fantastic card. Best card in this pack. Probably should not be going seventh pick, but I think I would probably just stick with green. Like my goal here, I think, is to end pack one being base green and being open to like maybe I'm in white or maybe I open a bomb in pack two. But I think I want to try and be base green. So I'd take Basilisk. Yeah, uh, I took Scatter here happily and I was feeling great about taking Psychic Symbiont. I was feeling very proud of myself. And then if we wrap this draft up, so if we fast forward a little bit, I was maybe thinking about autoling into green blue here. And I wheeled Titanic Growth from our opening pack, which was good and ended up making my main deck. And then I wheeled some mediocre white cards, a bunch of mediocre white cards at the end of pack one. Pack two, I opened up Demanding Dragon, which you would have been wide open to taking. And really, if I go back and look at the log, I also was probably fairly open to taking, but I did not for some reason. Uh, I chose to stick with a Pegasus Courser, which I took over Starcrown Stag, so you know it's my third draft. <laughs> and then I proceeded to get a couple more Starcrown Stags to solidify me into white. And then at the end of pack two, you know, we're getting ready to talk about combat tricks this episode. I got pack two, pick seven Titanic Growth, and I wheeled two Mighty Leaps, all of which made my main deck. Yeah, I think that's a really good draft to springboard us into talking about combat tricks, because one of the things that I think is essential about combat tricks is knowing what decks or what cards take advantage of them best. I mean, I think also what situations you want to use them in as well. So let's let's dive right in to the main topic here. We want to talk about M19 being a format with clunky-ish removal. I mean, there's, there is some removal that is good, but it's all kind of maybe conditional in some ways or expensive in some ways. And assertive decks, we've talked about red-white being one of the best decks in the format. I think there are good assertive decks in a lot of white's color pairs. And I think combat tricks can be some of the most game-defining spells in those decks. Uh, you can turn a loss into a win, an attack into a two-for-one, a block into a blowout. The tricks in this format can be very powerful. And they're also some of the cheapest ways to interact. You know, we keep talking about early plays and cheap plays being important. And I think a lot of those cards being two mana, one mana sometimes. Uh, so if you can back those cards up with an assertive curve, you can really impact the game in combat. Yeah, that absolutely 100% makes sense to me. So some things that I think about with combat tricks is when my opponent seems to be telegraphing them. So you're tapped out, your opponent makes an attack. Maybe they're attacking their 3-3 into your 3-2 or their 2-2 into your 2-3 even, like something that looks really, really bad that just seems to telegraph a combat trick. So they're making an attack that's suboptimal. What cards could they have to back that up? So you want to like scroll through that Rolodex. This is a really important thing to do in a limited format. We, in our crash course, try and give folks as much tools as possible. We always run down a list of all the ways to interact at instant speed at common and uncommon. So you want to have those in your, your back pocket, have those in the back of your mind. So when your opponent makes those attacks and they've got green and white mana available, go, all right, what could they have here? So what cards do they have to back that up? And then you need to remember those things in future turns because either maybe they're bluffing those tricks, right? Or... They have those things, and then don't forget that they have that then a few turns later. So tricks are, I think, a, a really interesting thing to think about from your opponent's perspective, not only just from, from your perspective in combat as well. Right. And I'm often, you know, we're talking about giving away information. I'm often not thinking about that as much when I'm when I do have a combat trick and I'm making an attack. 
I'm not thinking about it from my, you bring that up frequently when we're Skyping in together, like that I'm, I'm giving my opponent some information when I make an attack with a combat trick in my hand. And I, I don't think about that enough. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a tool. Some people won't use that information. Some people will have that information, then forget about it a few turns later. But here at Lords of Limited, we want to try and, and scoop up all those little pieces of equity that we can. And I think that is one of the things to do just to like, remember it. And I think that leads me to something that I've been doing a lot more in this format, which is bluff attacking a little bit early. Ooh. So I, I've been doing this maybe, I mean, I'm not drafting a sort of decks that much, I feel like, but even in mid range decks, I am having decks with two drops in them. I just feel like I often can get attacks because the power level of cards is so disparate like if i attack a 2-1 into my opponent's dryad green seeker are they ever blocking no i would never block with my dryad green seeker so like it doesn't really matter that i have no combat trick and then that also gives me the ability to if i'm really really smart and if my opponent chooses to hold on to that information i potentially have the ability to continue to bluff that trick later on then you also have to be aware of if you don't continue to bluff that trick Like you can't choose to like be like, ah, on turn two, I had Titanic growth in my hand, but then from turns four through six, I did not. And then I had it, I choose to like try and represent it again on turn seven. You got to be consistent with that story you're telling if you are trying to bluff. Right. About what lands you're leaving up. Yeah. I do feel like it is easy to get in those maybe few points of damage early because your opponent's like, "Ah, I'm at 20. I can take this like two or three. I can go to 17. I can go to 18, that sort of thing. And I think you can can get that little bit of equity because combat tricks are available to you. But I think you're only doing that right if your opponent has a very high value early play. Right, for sure. And I also think people may miss like, I have a 1-3, my opponent has a 1-3 on turn two, and I'm going to make a turn three play. Don't just play your three drop. Attack with your 1-3. A lot of the times they might like, if their 1-3 is a druid of the cowl and yours is a daybreak chaplain, they're probably not going to block. Right. You probably just get in for one damage. So don't just go, all right, well, I'll just play my creature and pass. Like you probably can get in an attack there. But similarly to reverse your earlier situation, you've got a 2-1 and they've got a Daybreak Chaplain. I'm blocking that 2-1 all day with my Daybreak Chaplain. If my Daybreak Chaplain eats a combat trick that early in the game, I am thrilled. Because that's what Daybreak Chaplain is doing in your deck. Like Dryad, Greenseeker, and Druid of the Cowl are there for the long haul. Right, right. I think another use of combat tricks that's really good is being able to blank damage based removal spells or sometimes, you know, give indestructible or hexproof in the case of dive down. Rest in peace. God, I miss that card so much. What was the card in uh, in Dominaria? The one in a white plus two plus two indestructible? Adam at will. That card was great. Also, we don't really have that. That that would be an oppressive card in this format. I think something oh something God. that granted hexproof at instant speed like we've got make a stand, but that's pretty expensive for a combat trick. Yeah, well, and like the plus two plus two is also relevant. Oh, yeah. would be, the card would be so good. Yeah, so I mean, just if you use a combat trick, if you use a Titanic Growth or a Mighty Leap to blank your opponent's Electrify or maybe their Strangling Spores, that's a huge tempo advantage for you. You traded two mana for four mana and you threw off what they were planning. That's very, very good. Yeah, I have used that Titanic Growth to blank Strangling Spores a number of times, which just leads me to think that people should be firing off Strangling Spores at sorcery speed and not at instant speed. Don't wait for your opponent to untap if you're trying to cast Strangling Spores. That card is a very fragile removal spell. Um, But yeah, doing that is a pretty big tempo advantage. And so that, that brings us to when you're supposed to play combat tricks. So when you're playing Magic, combat definitely favors the defender. And tricks are an excellent way to leverage an advantage as attacker. So if you can put your opponent on the back foot and maybe they're tapped out, 
that's the time you want to be playing your combat tricks. So if you're the attacker, you need to be wary of making suspect attacks. This is sort of what we were talking about earlier, because that can give your opponent information about the kinds of tricks you might have. Uh, maybe you, they can glean that you might have a sure strike, or maybe you might have a titanic growth, and they can play around them accordingly. Um, I, I certainly need to start thinking about that from my opponent's perspective more when I do have a trick in hand. So here are some general rules. I think the first one is try, if if you can, as the attacker, to not play tricks into open mana from your opponent as the defender, unless you're very confident you're not going to get blown out. Because that's when you start to get two for one, when you attack into a good defender and you have to use your combat trick to help your creature survive, and then your opponent also has open mana and can disperse your creature or can murder your creature or whatever and get their, get their two for one. Yeah, that is definitely not when you want to be doing that. Tricks get better the more aggressive your deck is. They can sort of be like pseudo removal. I imagine that's why the two Titanic Growths and the two Mighty Leaps were very good in that deck that you drafted in a round table because you had like two copies of Star Crown Stag in that deck. So you're able to put your opponent on the back foot. You're able to put them in the position where maybe they're tapped out and they have to awkwardly double block. That's when you really get the goods with those combat tricks. And I think the other thing that I've been trying to remind myself of is just the act of having a trick in your deck or in your hand can allow you to make attacks without having to spend the mana to actually cast the trick if the opponent chooses not to block. So for example, you know, you've got a 2-2 on board and your opponent's got a 1-3 that's good. Maybe, you know, that Dryad Green Seeker we've been talking about. Dryad of the Green Seekers, <laughs> as it were. And you attack your 2-2 into their 1-3 and they're like, well, I want to keep my Dryad Green Seeker around, so I'm not going to block. You got that free attack and then you don't have to spend the mana and you can play another creature, you know, even without having to bluff attack. And you can also keep in mind, like if it's game two or game three, if your opponent saw Titanic Growth Beast super effective in game one, they're going to be really wary of that card if if, especially if it's like a game defining card in the first game you're going to be able to leverage that information in games two and games three because like they're going to not want to get blown out by that card so you can act like you have it in your hand or just be aware that you have it in your deck you know i think that's another tool right good players will respect that card and it will change the way the game plays out as a course of them having seen it in game one so if we're talking about leveraging tricks in combat what sort of creatures if you're the aggressor do tricks pair well with? Yeah, I just compiled a short list here, uh, first of which is Starcrown Stag. And all of these creatures have something in common, which is that your opponents are incentivized to block them or double block them. So Starcrown Stag, three and a white for the three, three that can tap down your opponent's creature when it attacks. Pegasus Courser, the one, three flyer that jumps a creature into the air when it attacks. Bogart Brute, two and a red for the three, two menace. Anything that's got an enter the battlefield trigger when you're playing abdominal endurance, especially spark tongue dragon, the three red red for the three three. And then when you indominal endurance it, it can come back and then it re-triggers the two and a red ETB ability and you can shoot something for three mana. That's very powerful. But anytime I've got good ETB creatures, I really want abdominal endurance in my deck. And then two headed zombie, the three and a black four two menace gutter snipe uh, does two damage every time you fire off a combat trick and bristling boar, I think really goes well with combat tricks because your opponents can only single block it. So either they're chump blocking and you don't care or if they finally get something big enough to profitably block it then you crush their one thing with your combat trick you're saying abdominal endurance on purpose right yeah okay absolutely just wanted to check in (laughs) that's what the card's named yeah no i just wanted to make sure you were saying it correctly so those are when tricks are best used on attacks so if you're facing down an opponent seemingly representing a trick when do you want to play around them So this is certainly game dependent, but I think floating these few questions around are the things you want to be thinking about. So if you trade your creature for the trick, how will that impact future turns? 
So I, I think about this a lot and I talk about this a lot on stream about like, if we do X now, what does the next turn look like? What does two turns from now look like? So if you choose to trade your creature for their trick, so let's say like they're making an attack with their 3-3 three, three into your 3-3. Three, three. If you block and they have a trick, how does that look for future turns? Do you have a way to deal with that 3-3 three, three in future turns? Or would you rather trade your creature off for that trick because you have some bigger creature to deal with that 3-3? Three, three? Or you feel fine about leaving the 3-3 three, three on the battlefield because you have a way to deal with the trick later. You, you'll you untap and you'll have a disperse to, to bounce the creature if they go for a trick, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think there's sort of... I generally try to think about getting the trick out of their hand as soon as possible unless I have a way to blow it out in the future, like with a disperse or an electrify that I can play after I block or things like that. So if I don't have the tools to set up some kind of a blowout as the defender... I generally want to get the trick as soon as possible out of my opponent's hand because I think that's one going to prevent them from probably double spelling with the trick down the road. And two, they're going to be saving a worse creature with a trick probably, and it's going to take their whole turn. So like if on turn three, you know, you can block their three, three and use up their whole turn four to play that combat trick, you feel pretty good in that spot. You want to think about the kind of card you're leaving them behind. Like, are they using their combat trick to save a two one? Great. Are they using their combat trick to save a three two? That's not so great. Like a three two flyer snapping Drake. That's probably not so great for you unless you've got a giant spider waiting in the wings to come into play. So one of those things is probably going to be more of a threat down the line than the other. So think about how the value of the creature on board is going to impact future turns and think about how the value of the trick in their hand is going to impact future turns. And another thing, you know, if you find yourself in the the horrible feeling scenario of needing to double block into a suspected trick, mm-hmm. I think you generally want to try to postpone that for as long as possible, because generally if you double block a creature and they have the trick and you get two for one and they leave their creature on the battlefield... Like you lost so much onboard presence and that frequently leads to you losing the game. So I try to avoid getting myself in that spot until I absolutely have to. Yeah, I agree. So we're going to move into talking about the like specific ways to interact with creatures in M19. And I want to talk about they're not really combat tricks, but the, the oops, I win tricks. We've got got two of them here. First one, declare dominance. I think this is maybe lower on the totem pole than than the other one on this list. But this is super powerful index that can stall the board to take maximum advantage of what the card is able to do. And it goes up in value with death touch creatures as well. So keep in mind your daggerback basilisks and your poison tip archers when you're casting declare dominance. Sometimes this card is just a five mana Gideon's reproach, right? They just have one untapped creature that you get to kill, but it's still strong. And if you're playing against this card or if you suspect your opponent has this card or you've seen it try and trade off one for one more aggressively in the early and mid parts of the games so you don't get blown out by this card later in the game right and the other thing you want to try to cast this when your opponent's tapped out right because if they've got mana open to maybe disperse your creature or kill your creature in response like that's a that's a big way especially disperse is a gigantic blowout because then they can block all your other creatures profitably so you you this can lead to blowouts on your side if you're not careful with when you cast this. Right. I would not cast this into open mana unless I felt I had to. Like if I felt like this is either going to, I have to make this play right now to win the game or I'm going to lose anyway. I, I think that it's such a high risk to do this into open mana. The other oops I win trick is sleep, which is a super oppressive card in the format. It's at its best if you are attacking and you have a lot of power and toughness on the board. And, you know, we've talked about already, like 
you shouldn't really put this in your controlling decks because more often it's generally going to be a copy of fog there, which is not really what you want to be doing. You want to be winning in two turns when you cast sleep. Um, so make sure you've got a lot of early power and toughness in your deck that you're putting sleep into. So then that moves us into the board wide combat trick effects. Uh, top of that list, we've got Trumpet Blast. I think this is strongest in red, white, go wide for sure. And I've also liked this in blue, red decks. If you've got multiple Avon Wind Mages and Enigma Drakes, this can be pretty strong, often giving your flying team plus three, plus one with the uh, the triggers off of the, the Drakes when it's in the graveyard and the triggers off of it being cast for the Avon Wind Mages. Yeah, next is Inspired Charge, best in a go wide deck. I haven't particularly liked this myself outside of red white. I at early in the format, I kept sticking like a copy in my black white deck or a copy in my green white deck, and it just felt very clunky. And I never really had more than two to three creatures on the board. And maybe one of those was a blocker or something. It was just hard to leverage, even maybe to try to get a two for one or something like that. So I, I've generally only played Inspired Charge in decks that have some gallant cavalries and are really are making an effort to go wide. I'm curious to hear if you're still high on this next card, Make a Stand. I, I've been talking about I think this card is expensive in terms of a trick, but it does have huge upside and can be a huge blowout in combat. Yeah, I think it. I, I, I'm like medium high on it. I mean, I think it's like a C c plus maybe probably just a c but it's it's good uh and when you get late in the game sometimes this just says you win yeah it's something that we we haven't talked about yet which i think is important is the relevance of like multiple tricks being represented at once like when your opponent has four mana and double white and they make some sort of you know they attack with three of their five creatures it's tough to be like they could have mighty leap here. They could have inspired charge and they could have make a stand and trying to make blocks that like is like, well, if I make the, these blocks, this is good against inspired charge, but bad against mighty leap. If I make these blocks, this is good against make a stand, but terrible against inspired charge. Like think about all those kinds of permutations when you're trying to line up blocks when your opponent makes those kinds of like all out attacks or semi all out attacks. Next on the list, we've got root snare, which is the fog. I think this can be sideboard fodder against Inspired Charge, Trumpet Blast, Make a Stand. Um, even against Sleep, maybe, can be a sideboard card so that you don't lose the game on the spot when your opponent casts Sleep. I have not cast a Root Snare yet myself, but I could see it being relevant. Yeah, I haven't cast it yet, and the only times I've brought it in were against decks with Sleep, where I felt like I needed a way to not die to that card. The true fog of the format, I think, is Uncomfortable Chill. That's the two and a blue, minus two, minus zero to all your opponent's creatures and draw card. The fact that this replaces itself is is pretty big game, and the fact that it negates the more powerful board go-wide effects like Trumpet Blast, Inspired Charge, doesn't take away Indestructible, but does negate the power boost from Make a Stand. I think the card is fine main deck material if you care about spells or if you're just like need a 22nd 23rd playable and i think is a really strong sideboard card against those go wide combat tricks which brings us to the overperformers top of the list abdominal endurance card is fantastic it's cheap it provides tons of value with good enter the battlefield creatures it adds power and essentially toughness because the creature is going to get returned from the graveyard so it's essentially plus two plus x yeah which is just awesome and is an absolute house if you get the red black sacrifice deck to come together this card does a lot and i think it goes later than it should yeah i'm generally happy with like certainly one in all of my black decks and depending on like how much cheap interaction i need or how much enter the battlefield stuff i have card can go up. I can play two, sometimes three in my decks. I think the, the card is fantastic. Uh, next on this list of overperformers is Sure Strike. That's uh, one in red for the plus three, plus O oh and first strike. 
It's one power less than Titanic Growth, and it can't protect from damage spells, but it makes multi-blocks nearly impossible for your opponent. It's fantastic with creatures with Trample, since those beg to be double-blocked. Also fantastic with the cards we talked about earlier, like Starcrown Stag, Pegasus Courser, Bristling Boar, things that want to be blocked or double-blocked in combat. And then, speak of the devil, Titanic Growth is next. One on a green for plus four, plus four. That's so much of a boost to your creature for two mana. Titanic Growth, I think, is probably the best combat trick in the format. I think it's just king of the combat tricks. When you cast Titanic Growth, you're probably winning the fight. Yeah, for certain. Uh, I want to talk about some other ways to interact at instant speed invoke the divine and naturalize with the abundance of auras floating around don't discount these as tricks to allow you to blow out an opponent in combat and also keep them in mind when your opponent has open green or white mana and you're attacking i think you could probably add our next card on the list to that as well disperse is next and blocking with disperse up is one of the best feelings because you know there's no way that anything bad is going to happen to you it's like a warm little cocoon of can't be blown out there there was a time i feel like a few years ago where just like lone unsummon effects were not good and limited or like you felt like you really had to like set up getting a one for one out of it and that just doesn't feel that way anymore and it's probably because removal has gotten worse and so being able to interact so cheaply at instant speed is so good that like the upside of getting that that two for one but it's really just a one for one plus some tempo to like bounce a creature in response to a combat trick or bounce a creature with an aura on it but that just feels so good and has felt good for like the past few limited formats nightmare's thirst is the last card on this list that's the single black to give a creature minus x minus x for each life you've gained this turn and it also gains you one life so i i picked this card fairly highly in black decks i'm certainly excited when i see it late and I don't feel like I need life gain to back this up. Like this is a fine combat trick on its own to give minus one, minus one at instant speed. That's going to be relevant for one, one lonely mana. And if you've got even like a vampire neonate floating around or any other like incidental life gain, the wombo combo of being able to on turn six, go lich's caress your one thing and then minus four, minus four, your other thing. This card I think is, is pretty, pretty good. How often has that happened for you? Because it's not happened nearly as often as I would have suspected when evaluating this card. Most often for me, it's been single black, neg one, neg one. I don't know if it's that's the most often. I feel like most often it's like minus two, minus two, because I've gotten in like a chip with a daybreak chaplain or I've activated my neonate. I feel like that's probably the most often. And then minus one, minus one. And then I've lived the Lich's Caress dream only a few times. Okay. Moving on to our underperformers, top of the list for me is Mighty Leap, and I think this is where we're going to disagree, because I think you like this card a bit more than I. I want to be excited about this trick, but it just never does it for me. It feels like its best home is as sideboard material against flyers, which is bad. Like, we're talking about leveraging... Yeah, I know, I know. You're talking about leveraging combat tricks as attackers. You don't want to be using your combat tricks on defense, but I often don't find... This is probably just because I'm not drafting the assertive white decks that much that I don't find that this has a home in my main deck, because if I want something that boosts power and toughness, then I'd rather have titanic growth or I'd rather have abnormal endurance like that sort of stuff. I don't know. This card just doesn't quite do it for me. Yeah, I think this card is just a performer. I don't think it's an underperformer. I don't think it's an overperformer. I think this does what I thought it does. It gives plus two plus two. Sometimes you get to give your creature flying and win with it. Uh, I think Titanic Growth is better, but, you know, if you need a combat trick, this does the job. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Probably just as a performer. Next up, we've got Strangling Spores. This technically is removal, uh, but it's it's clunky removal. And if you're not targeting a Starcrown Stag or a Skyrider Patrol with this card, 
you're either trading down on mana or you're using it mid-combat, which is asking for disaster if your opponent's got open mana up. I think this card is less good than people think it is. I think this is like a C. Mm-hmm and is is playable, but I'm not excited about it. I was like ready to put this on my dwindle hit list. And then this past week, especially with like drafting these blue black mid range control decks, I have found strangling spores to be serviceable. Like I'm not embarrassed to have it in the deck like I am embarrassed to have dwindle in my deck. But it is a glorified combat trick to an extent. I think a lot of people still have this as the second best black common, and that just seems crazy to me. I do think that its saving grace is that it does kill Starcrown Stag, which is a card you really want to kill. Mm-hmm. No, and when you kill Starcrown Stag with this, you're doing it. That's that's like what the card it should. The art should be kill the, target Starcrown Stag. The art should be Stag dying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the last one on the list is Aegis of the Heavens. Uh, I've played this card a couple times, but not often. And I generally want Mighty Leap over it if I can can get there. Uh, it's one and a white for the plus one plus seven. So not really an underperformer in the true sense of the word, because I don't think most people have it in their decks to where it could overperform or underperform. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one power just doesn't do quite enough from your combat trick for me. No, especially if we're, all, all we've been talking about is leveraging them as an attacker or like trying to back up a block with them. But this just doesn't really do the thing you want. The fact that you probably don't want to use this on attacks, like the one power boost isn't going to do the thing that you want. So that probably is going to wrap up our conversation on combat tricks. I mean, to review leveraging attacks or trying to use it to back up when you're trying to block or double block a a creature, but not doing it into open mana or being aware of doing it into open mana as a risk. Those are all, I think, important safety tips when firing off those combat tricks. And just remember what information you're telling your opponent too when you're the attacker, like that you are giving away some amount of information Mm-hmm. Wanted to run down a list because it's for a, few, a few weeks deep in the format, and I think some some cute two or three card combos that exist in the format might not have made their way around to some folks, or they haven't seen me doing some shenanigans on stream. So I wanted to talk about some things to look out for, some fun to be had, or some cute interactions that you may have missed. Uh, the first is Abnormal Endurance plus Salvager of Secrets. So this actually gives you just like an infinite Salvager. I've got to do this a few times where like you block with Salvager of Secrets, cast Abnormal Endurance on it, your salvager trades with whatever in combat and then your salvager comes back and you get to rebuy the abnormal endurance so you can just like loop that over and over again if they don't have a way to deal with it i like that because it's a lot less than switcherooing and then dispersing and blah 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 it's like a, that's like a two card that's a two card combo infinite combo. yeah 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 all right next we've got agus of the heavens that's the plus one plus seven combat trick a creature with defender and Arcades, the Strategist. Yeah. That essentially lets you turn your Aegis of the Heavens into a seven damage boost to your creature that's attacking. Yeah, now that's a combat trick I can get behind is one and a white plus seven plus seven. Another combo is Spitflame plus Dragon Egg. So Spitflame is the rare tuna red deal four damage to a creature. And then when a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, when they choose to have like, like Sarkhan's Unsealing is in the deck, and has it as a cast trigger. And then Spitflame is when a dragon enters the battlefield under your control. There's a lot of just like choose one. It's hard to keep it all all in my head. But Spitflame cares about when a dragon enters the battlefield under your control. And you can pay a red to return it from your graveyard to your hand. So you can essentially use it to crack your own dragon egg if you need to. So you can cast it on dragon egg and then the dragon token comes into play and then you can pay a red to return the spit flame back to your hand i've been very depressed when my opponent has had a spit flame in their graveyard and then has cast a dragon egg (laughs) it feels bad another one that comes up is your opponent has switcherooed your creature away from you and you've got an abnormal endurance in your hand so if if your creature that your opponent stole is going to die 
you can cast your own abnormal endurance on your creature, and when it dies, it will return to play on your side of the battlefield. There's a lot of cuteness to be had with abnormal endurance in this format. I think that's one of the reasons I love it so much. Well, it's such a flexible card. It's so good. Uh, another combo is Ravenous Harpy plus Reassembling Skeleton. So Harpy plus Skeleton lets you pay three mana to put a plus one plus one counter on your Ravenous Harpy. And if you've got Poison Tip Archer in play, that is a real problem for your opponent because that's three mana, put a counter on Harpy and deal a damage to your opponent. Yeah, that is great. Next on this list, I'm going to turn this over to you because I don't think this is even playable. (laughs) Fine, I'll talk about it. Transmogrifying Wand plus cards with Indestructible. So I've seen some some cuteness happen here where my opponent's got like Aether Shield Artificer and they give their artifact plus two plus two and Indestructible until end of turn. And then they use their wand to target their Indestructible creature. The creature doesn't die, and then they get to have a nice little two-four goat. Who doesn't want a two-four goat? Yeah, they get a two. They do all that work for a two-four goat. Yeah, <laughs> and they can do it two more times too. It's so terrible. Ben, you're never beating a two-four goat. I know. Next on the list, we've got Ajani's Pride Mate and Revitalize. If your opponent has an Ajani's Pride Mate, or you do, I think Revitalize starts to get a lot more playable. I have gotten wrecked by this interaction, and it was a huge blowout. So Revitalize is the, the gain three life at instant speed and draw card. Turns it into a combat trick. That's pretty powerful. A combat trick that then replaces itself. That's big game. Doomblade draw card, as Amaz would say. Doomblade draw card. Next up, we've got Starcrown Stag plus Take Vengeance. So this, I think, is actually pretty sweet. You get to use your Starcrown Stag to tap their creature and then post-combat, Take Vengeance. Yeah, that makes Take Vengeance a huge pickup. If I have two Starcrown Stags, I'm actively looking for three copies of Take Vengeance. Yeah, that makes sense. Your own combat tricks can kill your opponent's Departed Deckhand. I was watching someone else stream recently. I think it was Doctor Who, uh, who's a pro magic player. And they were they were going over decisions that they could have made differently to win a game of magic. And they were talking about they had chosen on purpose, I think, not to use their combat trick to kill their opponent's deckhand on turn two, which just sounds crazy to me. Deckhand's a great card, and I would want to fire my combat trick off immediately to kill my opponent's deckhand. Yeah, I don't want to let that get out of hand for sure. Ooh, was, was that pun intended or pun not intended? It wasn't, intended? and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I regretted it. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> Starcon's on ceiling plus Inferno Hellion, probably pretty straightforward, but that's a way to get a sweeper combo together. So Inferno Hellion has seven power and you can cast that with Sarkons on ceiling and then deal four to your opponent and four to each of their creatures. Next one you told me about, Sun Cleanser, the one four that looks like it does nothing, kills your opponent's Hungry Hydra because your opponent's Hungry Hydra only has plus one plus one counters on it. And Sun Cleanser can remove all of those counters. I would be so tilted <laughs> if that happened to my Hungry Hydra. Yeah, Sun Cleanser... I think this card doesn't get picked up nearly as much as it should. I feel like I often see it wheel or whatever. Like a two mana one four is a big button in this format and shuts down a lot of cards. And then, yeah, you can kill Hungering Hydra. You can remove all the counters from a Ravenous Harpy. And I think that's about it. So it's got very, very little applications in the format. But killing a Hungering Hydra feels like you're doing it. I don't know. Blocking a Centaur Corsair or blocking a Starcrown Stag is also a very good function in the format. I agree. Last on the list, I finally got to live this dream just yesterday. Death Baron plus Skeleton Archer. So when Skeleton Archer comes into play, it deals a damage to any target. And Death Baron gives your Skeletons plus one, plus one and Death Touch. So guess what? That one damage, that just turns your Skeleton Archers into Ravenous Chupacabra. Ooh sick so maybe there is some fun to be had in this format after all yeah i mean this format is not dominaria but it's a good magic format not not maybe not good it's a it's an an, i i don't know it is magic it is magic yes and magic is great there we go (laughs) that's a good way to phrase it 
that's a great place to wrap up our episode here. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Our M19 treasure hunt is still underway. I believe we still have one achievement left to unlock post-achievement list coming out, which is Orocestral Recall. As a reminder, you can complete five achievements to be entered into a giveaway for a draft set of the current format. So take those screenshots, send them over to us on Twitter or to our email address. Yeah, you can tweet those at Lords of Limited and hashtag them with hashtag M19 Treasure Hunt. Or if you're not on Twitter, which you should be, you can email us screenshots at Lords of Limited at gmail.com. We've gotten some people on Twitter because of the treasure hunt. We have? We have. The people, some people that have emailed us in the past are now tweeting at us. Oh, baby. I wonder if we can get any sort of like kickback from Twitter. <laughs> we'll have to find out. You can check us out on Twitter. I'm at Lord Tupperware. Ben is at Mr. Metronome. We are both at those same handles on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware and twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. And if you want, you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. And you are also now writing weekly articles for Cardsphere. Is that right? That is correct. I have a weekly limited edition What's the Play series going on at Cardsphere's blog. So please check that out. We've got the first installment up. And I think maybe by the time this episode is out, we'll have the second installment out. Yeah. So make sure you check those out if you're looking for more Lord Tupperware content. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. So if we're talking about leveraging combat tricks in in combat. <laughs> Very suave. So, uh, <laughs> try that again. God, how could I ever possibly do coverage? Just be like, cut. Let's uh, let's take that again. Thank you. And action.